Um, this morning, family, we're going to part three of It's Time for the Nehemiahs to Rise Up. Part three of It is Time for the Nehemiahs to Rise Up. And this morning, family, we're going to be starting at the last verse of chapter one. We spent the first two weeks in chapter one, but we really didn't cover verse 11. So we're going to begin there. And with the Lord's help, we're going to go down chapter two, uh, potentially down as far as verse eight. So if you're ready with me, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So follow along and pray with me if you would. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cup bearer. Now by a two, and I'm beginning at verse one. Early in the spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Verse 7, I also said to the king, If it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the, of the Euphrates, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. The last verse for today, verse 8. And please give me letters addressed to Asap, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the walls of the city, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. Amen, amen, amen. Won't you bow your heads with me? Father, it's in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we accept this responsibility, this charge from you today. And God, as, as we come before you, I ask you to take charge of everything that I do and say. Anoint me from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. Anoint my, my lips, my voice, my heart, my spirit, 
everything about me so that this word will accomplish all that you send it forth to do. For you made a promise that your word would not return unto you void. And my goal today is as your, your anointed vessel to be used for the upbuilding of your kingdom and for your glory. God, we ask this prayer in the wonderful and the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So family, this morning, uh, as I was uh, praying and considering part three of uh, it's time for the Nehemiahs to rise up and also remembering that it's Black History Month, uh, the Lord uh, kind of reminded me through my wife about this incredible uh, black woman by the name of Harriet Tubman. Uh, she was one of the most renowned and successful uh, conductors of the Underground Railroad. And, and, and I was looking over some of the things that she had done and said, and I saw this quote from her. She said, the Lord who told me to take care of my people meant me to do it as long as I live. And so I did what he told me to do. Family, when you have a call of God upon your life, uh, there are occasions where sometimes he give you a season for the work. But uh, Harriet said that this call was for the, all the days of her life. And, and so I, I bless God for uh, the illustration of Harriet Tubman. Uh, she was an abolitionist, a political activist, but she achieved greatness for leading hundreds of slaves to their freedom. And, and as a result of that, uh, she became so famous as the conductor of the Underground Railroad. Listen, I want you to think about this because I do think it's part of a transition to our teaching today. To Harriet, her freedom was so important to her that she was willing to risk her own death or the terror of the most horrible torture, or both, in order to be free. She was willing to take that risk because she had an intimate relationship with God. And she was clear, according to the quote that I just shared with you, that the Lord had told her that if she take good care of her people, that God would take good care of her. I'm going to close with uh, a part of her prayer as she embarked upon her journey. And then we're going right into Nehemiah. She said, Lord, I'm going to hold steady on to you. You've got to see me through. Family, if anything, no matter who we are, when we know that God has an assignment for us, it is our responsibility to hold steady on to him so that he can see us through. Somebody ought to say amen to that. Amen, amen. So going uh, back to Nehemiah, in part one of this series about Nehemiah, we learned that one decision of commitment can change your life and the lives of thousands and even millions of other people. Her uh, is an example of that, but Nehemiah is our focus. We also learn that sometimes God will use circumstances around us 
to get our attention, but that quite often the message in those circumstances, now catch this real good, is number one, the call to preparation. And number two, then after the preparation, there is a call to action. And, and so we have learned that in parts one and parts two as we went into the book of Nehemiah. Uh, moving on today in our text, we remember that after hearing the news of the bad conditions of his national home, that he had four months of time where he fasted and prayed. And, and, and this was an important part of his preparation. You might write that down. This was part of his preparation. Amen. Now, don't miss this very important part of the process, family, because process and preparation go together. Amen. Yes, he felt a burden, but there is a powerful lesson there for both you and me. I was always taught to look before I leap. And truly, Nehemiah knew both that something had to be done and that God was calling him to action. But that the action that he jumped to was not the action of going directly to the battlefield in Jerusalem, but rather he went to the battle in the spirit realm. I hope you caught that because uh, so often in our lives, when we feel that there is something that must be done, if we're not careful, we jump without looking and, and, and we leap right into action when God often has demonstrated or, or brought to our attention the assignment, but then he wants us to plug in with him so that he can equip and prepare us for the assignment. So Nehemiah didn't jump to Judah or Jerusalem, but rather he spent four months praying, fasting, getting before God, listening, so that God could equip him and prepare him for the assignment. He didn't know all that God was going to do or have him to do, but he knew God had a plan for his life. And just like in preaching, you know, there, there's so many people when they think they have heard the call to, to preach, they want to run and get in the pulpit. But the first call is the call to preparation. And, and, and too often, we don't go to God first because we, and I want you to hear this, we don't go to God first because uh, we are afraid that he will not agree with us or we are afraid that God is on a different timetable than the timetable we're on. So we just get busy and start doing stuff. Often we leave God behind and end up creating a mess. So this brother did what is often very hard for all of us to do. And that is that he devoted four months of time where he fasted and prayed. And during that time, uh, God settled him and filled him with wisdom, courage, favor, and also provision. So what did I tell you? I said that the first action is the call to preparation. Look to somebody and, and tell them right now, timing is 
everything. I hope y'all caught that. But the best timing is God's timing. I hope, you, hope you're feeling it because with God, all things are possible. So slow your roll. Allow the author and finisher of our faith, your faith and my faith, to become the engineer and conductor of your train. Somebody say, I caught that. Let's move on down. The next point that I, I, I want to share with you today is if you slow down and allow God to, to settle you down and to be, uh, pour himself into you, what will happen is you will find that you will move from fright to power. Oh, let me say that again. Because sometimes we look at our assignment and, and, and it upsets us, it disturbs us, it makes us nervous. We uh, are sitting there going, I can't do that. Lord knows across the years, as we, as we have talked to people about evangelism, I've heard every excuse that you never want to hear. But the fact of the matter is, when you spend that time with God, God will move you from fright to power. And, and, and why wouldn't he move you to power? He is the power of all power. And if he is the power of all power and you're locked into him, why wouldn't he be able to move you from fright to power? So listen, once Nehemiah had learned to wait on the Lord, the thing that initially frightened him ultimately empowered him. I, I hope y'all heard that. It What initially frightened him ultimately empowered him. Let's go to back to the text. Nehemiah 2 verses 1 and 2 from the New Living. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. And then he closed that verse out with a very uh, interesting statement. He said, I had never before appeared sad in the king's presence. Verse two, so the king asked me, why are you so sad looking? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Now, remember Nehemiah was a man. And as a man, he, he articulated something that most of us might not want to articulate, but if we are truthful, we have to acknowledge it. Even though he was a man of God, he said in that moment, then I was terrified. Well, let me explain to you why, that, uh, why he, he said he was terrified. During the time of Nehemiah, it was considered to be highly disrespectful of the king and of royalty. If you appeared in the presence of royalty with any sign of sorrow, burden, or air of, this, of dejection. So it was natural that the king noticed what was different about Nehemiah. He noticed that his countenance was one of sadness. In fact, it was common tradition that if a servant brought an air of dejection into the presence of royalty, that it was def that it defied what was supposed to be 
the natural response of the common person. The tradition actually was that if a commoner or a servant was to be overwhelmed was with delight and joy just at the privilege of being in the presence of that royalty. And it was a great sign of disrespect to display anything but joy and delight. Watch this. <clears throat> this might sound uh, uh, pretty cruel to you, but this was the way of the time. The tradition of that time was that if anybody brought anything other than joy into the presence of the royalty, that the king actually could declare and demand that they would be deheaded, beheaded, I'm sorry. And, and so it was because that was a common practice that, ne that Nehemiah actually added on to the verse, end of verse two, and said, I was terrified. Why wouldn't he be? He knew what the, the common practice was, and he could literally lose his head just because he infected or infested the atmosphere of the royalty's presence. Man, I am so glad that the royalty of heaven is not like the royalty of earth. My God, when we go into God's presence, praying, dejected, down, but as we look unto Jesus, his heart, his mind, and his spirit reaches down, finds us where we are, and lifts us up from the muck and the mire. Uh, I, I love the fact that our great king is not like an earthly king. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Now, Nehemiah, knowing this, said that he was terrified. That was natural, y'all. But God was doing a work in Nehemiah. So I want you to watch verse 3 of chapter 3 in Nehemiah, of chapter 2, rather, in Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, but I replied. Did y'all catch that? Nehemiah replied to the king, and this is what he said, long live the king. And then he said, how can I not be sad? Let me, let me break that down for a moment. Uh, it was common that uh, the, the, the cupbearer or the servant or the commoner, when they came into the presence of the king, that they would say, long live the king. That was a, a desire. That was a, a wish. That was a prayer. They were pronouncing nothing but, but goodness into the atmosphere of the king. But then he said, remember I said he was empowered by God. So after saying, long live the king, he then said, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. My God, I don't know if y'all just saw or felt that, but something just shifted, y'all, in the atmosphere before the king. Something shifted in Nehemiah. It shifted in the atmosphere. And he said something that normally would not have been said in the presence of the king, but he had been empowered by the Lord himself. And so what we're witnessing as Nehemiah is moving from fright to power is a shift in the atmosphere. And I hear that quote from Harriet Tubman about, uh, about to come into Nehemiah's response. Harriet said, 
the Lord who told me to take care of my people and meant me to do it just as long as I live. And so I did what he told me to do. I believe that same spirit is what was empowered by God inside of Nehemiah. Who would have predicted or expected that the king would display favorable response to Nehemiah? I'm going to tell you right here, uh, as I begin to look at verse 3, I want you to know that something was beginning to happen because the once they acknowledged that they had, uh, any of us acknowledged that we have a burden from God, the next thing that we have to do is we need to sit before him, be patient, and allow God to do the work in us that is necessary so that we can capture his vision, so that we can capture his spirit, so that we can be empowered and emboldened by him, so that we can then be equipped and ready to move from what would have normally been an atmosphere of fright and fear into an atmosphere of power. Uh, Family, this morning, there's so much more. Uh, We're really going to be taking, I'm calling it a deep dive, excuse me, into the book of Nehemiah. But I, I believe that for today, if you captured those three points, that is, if you captured the point that it is necessary for us to to allow God to prepare us. And then after we're prepared, that we can then, uh, God will then empower us so that we are ready to go and move into the action that he is equipping us for. If you've got that, then you are ready to move on to the next point, which is moving from fright to power. I'm going to close right there because there's so much in the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to devote more time next week in chapter 2. Maybe we can get through chapter 2 and chapter 3. But I just want to leave you with those three points today. Preparation. Then action. Then, because you are empowered by God, he will build you up so that you are able to move from fright to power. If you got that today, then I believe we can get ready for the future lessons. Y'all get ready. Let's get ready to take a deep dive because in the weeks to come, we're going to continue looking at Nehemiah. I, I really believe that as we're in Black History Month and considering what Nehemiah was assigned to do, who he was assigned to do it for, a group of people who were actually enslaved. And his call was to bring them out. And I'm challenging all of us today to allow the Nehemiah to rise up in us so that we can do something about the conditions that we find ourselves in as people of faith. And for many of us who are watching, you are people of color. And we've got work to do, y'all. And, and But there is nothing that we ought to set our hand to without first looking unto God. I heard Brother Paul say, looking unto Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith. That's what we're going to be doing. And so I, I want to encourage you, put your eyes there so that he can prepare you and then he will help clarify your assignment and then he will fill you with power over fear or over fright. May God bless you and heaven smile on each of you and give you peace. And we ask that in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.